Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 31. Who mourns for Adonai? Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Kneel before us, and we will promise you a lifetime of serenity, peace, and happiness. But defy us, and you will be punished. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week what we do on Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, is watch one episode of Star Trek and try and suss out the messages, morals, and meanings from that episode. This week, the question, what of Lazarus? No, I'm sorry. No, 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 please, no, please, no. <laughs> Who mourns for Adonai? This is the episode where uh, the Enterprise crew gets to confront a Greek god. You don't do that every day. Yeah, well, they choose to confront a Greek god. You say get to. It's not like well, we're all dying to do that. That's not like my goal in life. No? Yeah, there's plenty of other stuff to confront. I'm not waiting around for... I want the Norse gods, actually. Thor. Oh, That's who I yeah. want to confront. Just because, you know, seriously, thunder, all it does is scare people. Come on, dude. <laughs> Get with the times. Right. You know what this episode reminded me of, actually? What's that? Have you read um, Douglas Adams' Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul? Uh, no, I have not. No, oh, you see, I remember really liking it, but it's been a very long time since I've read it. But there is this fantastic thing going on the whole time with Thor. Mm-hmm. Thor basically is not ready to give up being a god. And mm. so, well, who would be? And know? so he, well, the rest, no, the rest of Asgard, actually. Wow. That's, that's, that's wow. part of the whole thing. In fact, I think if, if memory serves, and it's seriously been over 20 years since I read the book, but if memory serves, the rest of Asgard actually wants to sell Valhalla to developers. Mm-hmm. And Thor doesn't want to do it. So he keeps going around <laughs> doing God stuff and he keeps being punished by Odin. Like, like, uh, he's apparently, he has to carry around a Coke machine. <laughs> for like for yeah, years and he uh he has to count all of the pebbles on the uh, norwegian beaches was it norway <laughs> i can't remember he has to count all the pebbles on some beach yeah and he tells a guy this and he says i, I was forced to, to count all the pebbles on this beach don't you want to know how many pebbles there are on this beach and the guy says okay how many and thor says count them yourself i didn't do it for you <laughs> I love it. Yeah, nice bit of levity for that. But you know, that's 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 me and and me doing personal trivia, John. I know you've actually got Star Trek trivia for us today. Oh, oh, wait, is it time? It's time for Star Trek trivia. Might as well. All right. Be. Yeah. Cool. I've got a, a little bit here for you. By the way, before we get into the show specific trivia, um, did you notice that we have a new opening theme? Well, in, we, in this episode, we actually had that last week when we did uh, when we did uh, a mock time. Oh. That's right. That's right. And we yeah, also, and I want to say, uh, what's his name? Uh, DeForest Kelly actually graduated this year. Yes, he did. We're very glad to see his name in the credits. Yeah, in the opening yeah. credits, because he was always at the end credits, but. Right. Yeah, he's moved on up a bit. I know, it's yeah. been like a week. Now, I know. Now well, we didn't get to wink, mention wink, it. Wink, wink, since we did yeah. a mock time. Yes, I know. It's <laughs> it's only been a week, though. I can't believe you already. Nudge, nudge. Anyway. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but but we didn't mention it last week. So yeah, here we are in season two, and we've got uh, we've got new music. Yay! Yay! Music. And um, and new opening credit to go. But trivia. Yeah. So show specific trivia though. Hit me with your best trivia. Okay, so here's the thing. First of all, the the opening, uh, or I should say the title of this episode, Who Mourns for Adonai, or Adonai, depending on how you pronounce it. I never knew how to pronounce the title. Uh, of this you, you weren't an Amy Grant fan when you were a kid, were you? Uh, no, I guess not. Yeah. No. Yeah, the song El Shaddai. Oh, okay. Oddly enough, Adonai rhymes with El Shaddai, one of the reasons that song might have been in there. Oh, very interesting. For that name. Go ahead, anyway. Um, well, and here's the thing. I, I find this episode title misspelled and, and miswritten all over the place. Yeah. E- even in iTunes. I think the I think it finally got corrected, but it, it was miswritten. Now, it's a good thing that uh, Adonai is not a character in this episode. So we just kind of have to deal with the title and then we get it out of the way. Um, the title refers to uh, a line in a Percy Shelley poem. Um, it was actually an elegy written for his friend... Uh, John Keats, uh, written in 1821, just literally weeks after Keats died, uh, Shelley sat down to write this elegy about his dear friend. Um, 
And there was a line in there, who mourns for Adonai. Now, Adonai can refer to Adonis. It could be that character from Greek mythology. Or here, more likely, it refers to, it is kind of wonky, so bear with me, an English translation of a plural reference to the Hebrew name for God. So what we end up with is essentially saying, who mourns for gods? You know, when, when the gods are gone, who who's left to mourn for them? How do we mourn for them? So that, that's where the title comes from. And I, I had seen this title written, you know, throughout my life. And I had no idea, A, how to pronounce it, and B, what it meant. So now, in doing research for the show, I get to uh, unburden myself of that confusion. It's so interesting uh, to me, though, that you put that in trivia. Because unbeknownst to you, we're coming mm-hmm. back to that later in the show. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Cool. I mean, and, right. and sorry, I, you know, maybe I should let you know what I want to talk about sometime. <laughs> no, no, the show's much more fun. I we think you're no right. no idea what we're doing. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. It's like when you pull out your Mussolini apologies. I'm like, oh, wow, I did not great. see that coming. Well, now I'm starting to see them coming. <laughs> but the first, like, you know, four or five times you did that. <laughs> right, right. Send your letters to John Champion. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, okay, inter- right. I interrupted your thing. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. That, that's what we do here. It's a give and take. Um, the other little bit of trivia here worth mentioning is that uh, Lieutenant Palamas was originally written to have been impregnated by Apollo. <laughs> and yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. Wow. I want to yeah. read that novel. Well, oddly enough, it is in the novelization. Is when it really? James Blish, yes, it is. It is. When James Blish did the novelizations years after Star Trek was on the air, they included that plot line. Well, okay. Forgive me. I guess I should have said a little bit more. I want to read the novel. Like maybe we do, you know, go back to The Guardian of Forever mm-hmm. where we jump into that timeline, but then let them go ahead and live their lives because I'm curious about that thing. Do you think his godlike powers would have actually been diluted quite a bit? Because Apollo was uh, the, the child of Zeus and Leto, a human. Yeah. And so, so I mean, you get, you're getting them like quarter god by the time you get to Apollo and, uh, and Carolyn's. Well, you've diluted the godlike powers. And remember, we don't have a source of power for that god anymore. He, well, he's got to have a, a mechanism. If we're going to retcon, though, <laughs> <laughs> we go ahead and leave the power source there and see what happens. All right. Touch the stump before heading planet side. It's showtime for Apollo. Prologue. We're approaching Pollux 4, and it looks like there is just no life in this area at all. Kind of boring, actually. The fetching Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas tells us exactly how boring it is. But Scotty sees this as perhaps an opportune moment to suggest they scurry off for a cup of coffee. Uh, It's kind of cute how Scotty is getting all flustered. But before you can say harassment, a giant hand appears in space. Well, Well, it's an energy field that looks like a giant hand, and it grabs the Enterprise. Act 1. That big old hand has a big old face to go with it. On the view screen, there's now a... Well, he kind of looks like a guy right out of Greek mythology, what with that laurel wreath and everything. He seems pretty friendly. Welcome, Earthlings. Good job getting into space and all. Your journey is over. Now you can just come hang out with me on my planet. Tempting as it is, and it's not, Kirk is ready to turn around. The hand still has the Enterprise in its grip, though, and when Sulu tries to work some fancy maneuvers, the hand just tightens its grip. Kirk agrees to come down to the planet with a landing party if it will stop the hand from crushing the ship. On the surface, Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, Chekhov, and remember Lieutenant Palamas? Well, she's here too because she studied Earth antiquity. They finally meet the man behind the threats and that lovely laurel wreath. His name? Apollo. And we're not talking about that guy from Battlestar Galactica or the guy from Rocky. Act 2. Apollo is very familiar with Earth from 5,000 years ago, along with the rest of his family, Zeus, Hera, Athena. You may have heard of them, the ones from Olympus. So guess what? Now that you've found them, it's time to put down the spaceship and get to the worshipping. That's right. Everyone on board the Enterprise is to come down and take up a new vocation of worshipping Apollo. Kirk, suspicious of the whole idea of claiming to be a god, is not so ready to give up and bow to Apollo. But Apollo makes a pretty strong case. 
either start worshiping or he'll start wielding more of his power. He's already melted Chekhov's phaser and he zapped Scotty's trigger finger when he got mouthy, especially about Lieutenant Palamas because, you know, he likes to have coffee with her. Apollo is laying on the seduction pretty thick. He's buttering up Lieutenant Palamas. Well, okay, now they're on a first-name basis, Carolyn, uh, with talk of being a goddess. He even whips up a new, more revealing outfit for her to wear. By the way, back on the Enterprise, Spock is holding things together really well. He's got Uhura working on communications and Sulu at work trying to figure out just where all that power is coming from that's feeding Apollo's abilities. Act 3. Carolyn is getting to know Apollo now. He explains that he and his race left Earth when the humans stopped worshipping them, and ultimately all but he disappeared. I guess they really thrive on the whole worshipping thing, but really, who doesn't? Carolyn is really eating up the whole idea of being a god's girlfriend by now. Uh, Back at the landing party, Scotty is getting a little peeved again. He'd like the opportunity to go have coffee with Carolyn again, probably when this is all over. Apollo stops Scotty in his tracks when he attacks with a gold statue and sends the engineer to the ground with more of his god power. The Enterprise and the landing party are coming to the same conclusions about Apollo. He's getting his energy from somewhere, if only they could find it. Kirk's got a new plan now. Since Apollo seems to need his energy and he gets tired when he uses too much, they'll split up and just really, really annoy him. Apollo takes the bait, but Carolyn steps in and messes up the whole thing by begging for mercy. Act 4. Carolyn has really got it bad for Apollo now. She's riding the high of making goddess plans. Settle down on Olympus, raise a bunch of little uh, demigods. Kirk starts laying the smack down. He says that Carolyn needs to reject Apollo in order to free the rest of the crew. You ready for a Kirk speech? Well, I sure am. A lifetime of worship is no life at all. He makes a plea for Carolyn to remember her human roots, that they are the same in an unbreakable tie with the rest of the human race. We're all just a little bit of flesh and blood, and to quote Kirk, in a universe without end, the only thing that is truly yours is the rest of humanity. She reluctantly agrees, and just in time, Kirk has communication again with the Enterprise. Spock can break through just enough and explains that he can aim a phaser at Apollo's temple, which seems to be the source of his power. Kirk says, yeah, let's do this, even if it means we're in harm's way, and even if we don't know the effect that will have on Carolyn or Apollo when they pull their vanishing trick into thin air. Carolyn is just starting to have the talk with Apollo. You know, the talk. It's the one that always begins with, honey, we need to talk. She's starting to make a case for her own identity and humanity. She breaks it down that she's only been studying Apollo as a new species. When he starts to get demanding, she finds it a little easier to spurn him for good. Now Apollo is really using up some of that energy to create a storm. Spock calls to confirm with the captain that, yes, the temple is where Apollo's power is coming from. Good timing. Apollo is just angry and distracted enough that a couple of phaser blasts knock out the temple, thus leaving Apollo powerless. Apollo, devastated that he has lost any chance of keeping the Enterprise crew as worshippers, asks if what he wanted was too much. Kirk replies, we've outgrown you. You ask for something we can no longer give. Apollo then casts himself onto the winds of the universe. He calls upon his family and weeps that there's no room for gods, and he disappears into the ether. McCoy has a bit of remorse. Kirk agrees that the contribution of those gods millennia ago made them who they were. I think we know who mourns for Adonai. (laughs) (laughs) There are two things really quickly that have absolutely nothing to do with the show, but just sort of a fun thing. Um, Bring it. He taps that energy. <laughs> you know, and I couldn't think yeah, that's yeah. right after he took Carolyn. And I couldn't help thinking, well, that's, you know, kind of dirty. I was also a little surprised that uh, in trying to get away from the big giant hand, mm-hmm. um, uh, Kirk suggests that Sulu rock the ship because yeah. there is a big giant hand. And if the ships are rocking, that big giant hand might start knocking because there's no sign indicating that that's not what they should do if the ship is rocking. <laughs> right. So it's really, I mean, this whole episode could have ended in the prologue or, right. uh, yeah, prologue or right after. Yeah. In, in Act go. One, it could have just that could have been it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I, well, maybe they'll put up a sign now. 
Well, I think they, well, no, luckily, maybe, I mean, as 5,000 years ago, Apollo hadn't heard the whole, yeah, if the ships are rocking thing. Oh, I bet they had that 5,000 years ago. Yes, that's true. They did have wind in their sails. They did. Yeah. Hey, um, some cool things that I thought about while watching this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that prologue, when uh, Carolyn is just so bored with the idea that there's nothing out there, I-, I love how Star Trek is saying very specifically that the galaxy is just teeming with life. Yeah. You know, it, going back to like the Drake equation, I don't know if it had been developed specifically at that time, but, but they're just saying it, it, life is not only likely and possible, life is just everywhere. And it's boring <laughs> when you don't find it. It's also interesting that we have, in fact, come across enough um, sort of uber beings at this point <laughs> right. that, that when Bones is doing his assessment of Apollo later, he says, well, he looks human, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, at this point, it's true. I mean, from, yeah, yeah. from, from you know, Trelane to uh, the Metrons, uh, really, you know, just just because a guy looks like a guy, he right. might not be a guy. He might not be a girl. Heck, he might not even be. Right. Yeah. Also wanted to point out that uh, Chekhov is predating the Dorothy Hamill haircut by at least a decade. <laughs> it is kind of uh, nice, isn't but it? But he, he's rocking it. He's rocking yeah. it very hard. Um, Chekhov's great in this episode. He is. He is. He's got a lot of good back and forth for Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I, I, yeah. I had heard a long time ago that Chekhov was supposed to be an answer to Davy Jones. True or untrue? Um, yeah, you know, there's the, the whole apocryphal story about how the Russians said, why don't you have a Russian on the spaceship? And uh, Well, there, there's no real evidence that anybody in the Soviet Union in the 60s had Star Trek. Right. So that, that's totally apocryphal. But we did definitely have the monkeys on the air and we did definitely have the wildly popular Davy Jones. Yeah. So let's inject the show with a little of that youth appeal and, and done very well with Chekhov. It is. Yeah, it, it's cute. It is. It is cute. I mean, there are episodes coming up where it gets annoying. <laughs> right. But this episode, is, I mean, it's cute. I was like, oh, that, you know, and it wasn't forced comedy. It was just like, oh, that's cute. Um, I'll tell you what else is cute, that uh, one day Apollo is going to be a great fashion designer. <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate that he just evaporated into the universe because the man had some skills. Well, you say he evaporated into the universe, but we don't really know what happens to him. I mean, he no. called upon Zeus to accept them, so, you know, they went someplace. Right. Well, he kind of describes that, that point of no return, even for a god, and, and the, the uh, Hera had just sort of, you know, become non-corporeal. Yeah, well, as far so, as he knows, though. Yeah, well, true. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's possible that when he said, Zeus, accept me, you know, that Zeus took him to the big fashion house in the sky. Oh, that would be great. They should have their own show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what I'm saying is that uh, the outfit that uh, actually costume designer Bill Tice designed for uh, Carolyn Palamas, Lieutenant Palamas here, is, uh, is gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, it's right up there with Sherry Jackson in What Are Little Girls Made Of? You know, he makes some pretty goofy stuff for men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, do- he does okay with the ladies. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, from a, from a heterosexual male's point of view, I mean, you know, and if you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to argue about that, write to somebody. <laughs> right. Hey, you know who else does a really good job? Hmm. Spock. Yeah. Because you know we we've seen Spock up until now, kind of uh, being a little touch and go with his command skills, but now he is in command. Yeah, and it's really cool to watch. It is really cool to watch. There was also another. There was a wonderful thing. That happened between uh, Spock and Uhura as well. Um, mm-hmm. His assessment of her abilities here. Mm-hmm. We tell we, I mean, we tell kids all the time that they can, you know, they're the best and they can do anything. But, you know, we all know they can't. <laughs> right. A lot of times we tell that to five-year-olds. They really can't do everything. I mean, they're five. Maybe no, they will they be can. able to one day, but, yeah. you know, as it stands right then. Yeah, you don't want a five-year-old to do your taxes. No, uh, you trust, don't. Me, right. trust me, I know. Yeah. Put your mind to it, and you really can't do everything, but you'll be okay. Um, what's really cool, though, is Uhura is actually working on bypassing the communications thing to try to, you know, uh, contact the people down on the planet, which is being stopped by the big green hand and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and Apollo. Mm-hmm. She says it's been a while since she's done it, and, you know, Spock's like, you know, come on, time's important. And she's like, this, no, seriously, it's been years, and Spock says that he can think of no one better for the task than her. And what's cool is you know it's true because Spock is saying it. 
Yes. You know, yes. and, and yeah. it's kind of neat to see him recognize her ability and actually sort of elevate her status in a way that even her rank and her position on the, on the bridge of the enterprise don't do, you know, I mean, because he's always very logical and he's not, he's not given to flowery speech. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from his occasional poetry about winking out of things, um, <laughs> he's not given to flowery speech. And so, you know, for him to say, no, seriously, there's nobody who could do this better than you. That's, I mean, that's, that's like the, the, the truest testament to Uhura's place in Star Trek that we've seen so far, it seems to me. A healthy dose of sexism, and telling God he's fired. I feel certain there will be nothing that offends anyone in this episode. You know what Star Trek is rife with, John? What's that? Racism and sexism. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, ouch. Not really racism. It's not even really racist. It's just kind of a thing. I found it kind of interesting that Apollo seems to be exhibiting a tiny bit of racism when they're talking about who's going to go down to, uh, you know, planet Pollux 4. Yeah. And, uh, you know, (laughs) he's looking at everybody on the bridge and says, uh, don't bring the one with the pointed ears. He reminds me too much of Pan. And Pan always bored me. Well, way to judge a book by your cover, dude, because (laughs) Pan was this, you know, playful, lustful, dare I say, puckish god or, Mm -hmm. you know, demigod or alien or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, which would make him about as much like Spock as I am like Burt Reynolds back in the day. Now, wait a minute. Ken, I've met you, and I think of you very much like Burt Reynolds. Well, if you're talking about the 70-something-year-old Burt Reynolds that we have today, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the like, longest yard, Smokey and the Bandit. I'm nothing like that Burt Reynolds. So, okay. Yeah, right. so there's very different as, you know, there's a huge difference between Spock and, uh, and Pan. But they do have the ears in common. Which, That's about you it. You know what? My, my interpretation of that was actually a little bit different. When, when he had that line, I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, wait a minute. Pan is... Playful. Pan is not like Spock at all. But I, I kind of thought that Apollo saw that Spock was an alien, may have had some knowledge of this crew. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. That's all. Oh, my goodness. Are you saying that Pan was a Vulcan? No, 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 no. no I, I'm uh, saying. Oh, come on. No, I, no, come on. Let's go ahead and play that. Let's go ahead and play that. Do it just for a second. Come on. They were a group of aliens. Hmm, They were a group of aliens that were traveling, or a group of spacefarers that were traveling the galaxy. They found Earth 5,000 years ago. Who's to say they didn't find Vulcan first? And who's to say they didn't pick up a Vulcan and bring him with them just for fun? Except apparently Apollo didn't think it was that much fun. The end. Yeah, except except that that would be a really boring pan. It would just be light, logical pan. He could also have been a Romulan. Or 5,000 years ago, it's possible that the uh, Romulans and the Vulcans had not yet split. And so you still had this, you know, crazy sort of, yeah, fairly logical, but also, you know, kind of, kind of hot into the collar. (laughs) I like that. All right. I I like that. We're retconning. It's a retconning episode. It is. No, see, my my thought was this, that that Apollo assessed who was on the bridge Mm -hmm. and he said like, well, okay, the alien, I'm not too sure about better to keep him at a safe distance, but I'm going to bring down some humans because I know how to deal with humans. That's a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. That was, that was just me. I still like my idea that Pan's actually a, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Romulan I, I like Vulcan, it. but whatever. Um, I mean, we, we should go back through Greek mythology and just figure out what Star Trek species <laughs> all all of those characters came from. That's that's a fun idea. Not not really, not at all. <laughs> uh, the sexism thing though is actually more serious in this episode, I think. And you know, that's yes. that's kind of my shtick. Yeah, one of my yeah. shticks anyway. Um, Scotty is is hitting on Carolyn Palamas in a huge way. Bones isn't sure that he likes their relationship, and it's not because Scotty shouldn't be hitting on her, but because she probably isn't as into Scotty as Scotty is into Carolyn. But it's all cool as far as Bones is concerned because, you know, she's a woman, all woman, and eventually what she's going to do is she's going to find a man, and she's going to leave Starfleet, and Kirk's like, yep, and that's pretty much it. And all of this is done, like, right within earshot of Uhura. Now, there's no evidence yeah. that she's heard it, but, you know, she's communications. She's probably she listening. Everything. Yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's probably paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. And like, uh, dames, huh? Yeah. 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 She's cute, but she won't last because at some point she's going to meet a guy and we'll drop her off on some planet and she'll start making babies. I, I, I cringed 
when that whole exchange was yeah. going down. And then the, the only thing that just kind of sort of in a tiny bit saved it yeah. was Kirk's last line where he says, you know, I don't like to think of it as losing an officer. I think of it as, well, wait, I'm losing an officer. That's so a good it, like, point. like that one moment, it, it doesn't justify everything that just happened 10 seconds before. Yeah. But at least Kirk comes back and he's like, no, this is an officer. That's what this is about. So in Kirk era Starfleet, women are valuable to the organization from, let's say, 22 to 29. Okay. They're, they're, they're good officers at that point. But, you know, yeah. biological clock, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, they're going to have to drop her off. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, you know, it's not, again, this is one of those things. I mean, it's it's weird that we, well, I don't guess it's that weird that we keep talking about sexism because I'm usually the one who brings it up. It's I mean, it's just inherent. It's crazy yeah. how inherent it is. It's like it's not even a topic of the show. Like like we will come across shows or we have come across shows where, you know, ecology is an issue or racism is an issue. Sexism is very rarely an issue. It's just mm-hmm. a thing. It's there. You know, right. Well, um, and it, it's a different take on, you know, you, you go back to the cage and you look at number one. Yeah, that is Totally, you know, you would never have that conversation about that character. What well, we do about Carolyn. Well, and yet there is, I mean, if you go back to that, there is also a rankling from her that you don't have that conversation about her. When Pike, oh, well, when Pike yeah. says to number one, I'm not used to having women on the bridge. Oh, well, right. you know, it's different with you, number one. <laughs> yeah. What with your, right. you know, not being, a, except you. Uh, anyway. Yeah. We also might want to talk uh, briefly about the fact that there is not a single unattractive woman on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. Apollo is taken with uh, Carolyn, saying that she's more beautiful than Daphne or Cassandra. Now, you know, Cassandra was a downer <laughs> just by her very nature. So I understand even if she's gorgeous, after a while, you're just going to be like, God, could you not? I mean, you know, right? doesn't mean the sky is falling, Cassandra. Um, <laughs> Daphne, though, is a big deal. And if you know the story of Daphne and Apollo, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but if you know the story of Daphne and Apollo... For Apollo to say that Carolyn is more beautiful than Daphne mm-hmm. is um, is huge. Now, of course, it's also been about 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe his memory is just a tiny bit off on that. What I'm wondering, though, is what if she had been uh, played as a bookish, bespectacled, hunchbacked, pimply, receding hairline, you know, 85-year-old woman? <laughs> I, I, I like where you're going with that. There is yeah. not a single unattractive person on kirk's enterprise yeah that's television though that's the thing well it just you know ken maybe it's television maybe 300 years in the future we're all just better looking well i guess that is you know that is actually a possibility (laughs) that that is honestly you see Mm -hmm. wow you're like you're you're poking holes in all my sexist stuff that's not bad it's like um it's like lake wobegon you know, where all the men are good looking and all the children are above average. That's yeah. the future. And the women are strong, right? And the women are strong. Women yes. are strong. The men are good looking and the children are well above, above average. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, Apollo is also a sexist, by the way, which oh, is not surprising because, well, you, yeah. you know, he's practically oiled up walking around. I mean, he's very much he's very much. Well, he's stereotypical in a number of ways. But uh, but his yeah. his pronouncement that Carolyn is wise for a woman <laughs> ouch ouch yeah she's supposed to say thanks you know i know right <laughs> or should right. she just you know poke him in the eye all right well, so there it is that's so that's the racism and the sexism yeah well you know here, here we are again with this character a female character who is a professional who is an officer mm-hmm. and she just suddenly gets taken by the you know oiled up muscle man of the week i'm actually okay with this though with her character in a way that i was not in space seed Really? Well, yeah. Although maybe I have to be a little bit more forgiving in Spacey, except that Apollo is not um, is not abusive to Carolyn no. in the way that Khan was to uh, that character's name, who I cannot MacGyvers. remember right now. MacGyver's. Thank you very yeah. much. He's uh, he's not abusive to her. I mean, that was the problem with MacGyver's. I understand MacGyver's being attracted to Khan because she's been studying men like him. I mean, it's like you know. It's her. It's it's what she's done her whole life is study men like him, and then suddenly there is a man like him, and so I would yeah. understand her immediately being attracted to that. I don't understand her sticking around once he starts abusing her. It's different with Apollo and Carolyn because you know she has studied antiquities, she has studied Earth's history, and I presumably other histories as well. But I mean, she has studied 
the gods. And then mm-hmm. when she meets a god, well, of course she's going to be turned on. And and then, you know, he proceeds to not hit her <laughs> or not, True. you know, not abuse her mentally or physically. And so, yeah, her staying turned on. I'm actually kind of, uh, I get yeah, that. Yeah, but he, he's also abusing her friends, though. And, uh, you know. Yeah, he can I, make I know. new I... friends. <laughs> <laughs> actually, he's a god. He can make her new friends. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah so really, it's going to be okay. All right. Um, I'll tell you why um, I, I was really uh, intrigued by this episode. Okay. And, and that's that as we've been doing Star Trek and we've you know, done with season one, just now into season two, we've had all these kind of very interesting moral dilemmas and, and a few you see Timmy moments. And, and we've set up, started to set up anyway, this sort of uh, framework for a humanist future. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very little reference to God or religion. There's a, a few pieces here and there. We have the, the chapel on the ship and um, or, you know, sort of a multi-purpose chapel on the ship, it seems. And um, but here in this episode, we are taking on one of the big three topics that you do not discuss at a dinner party. You know, you don't discuss sex, religion or politics. And here we're taking on religion and God and gods and their place in our lives. And um, so my, my hat is off. Kudos to Star Trek for doing that at all, uh, because it's sort of a bold thing to do on TV. And it's a bold thing to do on 60s TV on an action adventure show. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is the the character of Apollo, the character of God. Mm-hmm. Um we we have this thing here where if you look on the micro level, if you, if you take everything in this episode at its surface and you say, well, this is about um, the, the Greek myths and the Greek gods and how we got those. And, oh, look, maybe they were aliens that visited Earth. Isn't that fascinating? And now they're gone. Mm-hmm. But what I like to do is I kind of like to look at this from the macro level. You know, Star Trek science fiction is set up as... Uh, uh, metaphor and stories about today and about ourselves. So to me, I like to look at this more as religion, you know, you know the, the, big, the big topic here. Mm-hmm. And I thought the character of God that we're portraying shares traits with a lot of other gods. You know, Apollo is loving but jealous. He is peaceful but demanding. He's benign but punitive. You know, it, it, it's a mess. And, <sighs> and it's a character that anyone who studies religion with a critical eye should should recognize right away he um he actually to me is sort of old testament uh god from the Mm -hmm. uh judeo-christian tradition it's interesting though carolyn actually tries to bring him around to uh more sort of a new and improved testament god (laughs) right you know interceding for them like apollo when they do the whole thing where they're laughing at him and they're taunting him and you know trying to break his power Right. He's about to kill somebody. Yep. Somebody is going to die. It's going to be Kirk, yep. actually, because Kirk's the one who's sort of leading the charge. Right. And she intercedes and says, well, why are they going to worship you if you're going to be mean to them? Yeah. Be nice. Don't be mean. And this is, this is, this is, that, this is that turning point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We used to have this yeah. you know, angry God who was like, yeah, you know, I don't like that town. <laughs> kill them. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. 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 Disobey me and I'll throw you out of Eden. And, of course, we know that's the basis of Star Trek. Um, or, you yeah. know, don't look back or I will turn you into a pillar of salt. I mean, he was a, he was a, he was a capricious dude. Yeah. And it's yeah. not until, uh, it's not until sort of the, uh, the New Testament times, the coming of, uh, Jesus and the people who followed him, uh, that we, that we end up with sort of a loving God that we, you know, and, and she, she tries to turn Apollo that way, which is, uh, which is fascinating. Well, it lasts for a moment. Yeah. Only for a moment, long enough to save Kirk and everybody else. And, right. and she makes a good case, though. I mean, I, I think her logic that uh, appeals to Apollo is just saying, well, look, if you kill these people, then who's going to be left to worship you? So I, I saw it more as a sort of uh, a bargain of, look, what you want is people to worship you. You have to hang on to these people to worship you. And, and then, oh, see, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, if you're going to take the whole thing as a as an examination of religion, then it sort of it, it seems to me that you are arguing for not giving God something for nothing. I mean, having mm-hmm. created, having started, 
you know, is not, <laughs> doesn't seem to be enough. Now, of course, in the end, nothing is actually enough as far as, uh, as mm-hmm. far as, uh, this episode is concerned to, uh, to support the idea of God. Can, do you want to, do you want to, we're, I know we're a little bit into the conversation at this point, but do you want to mm-hmm. talk about the line? Uh, yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, because I, I think that's one of the big key things in this episode that, um, that I know seeing this sort of on our schedule that it was coming up, I, I, I really struggled with it. Yeah. Um, this whole episode is about, you know, Kirk fighting this being is Apollo saying, I'm a God and Kirk saying, no, you're not. And it's also Kirk saying, we don't need you. Um, we don't need to worship you. We, we don't need what you have to offer. We have outgrown you and we've come a long way in 5,000 years. Now there is one line where Kirk says, mankind has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate. And the second half of that line, yeah, to me, not only is difficult to process, it undermines a lot, a lot else of what's going on in this episode. If by so, a lot else you mean all of it, all of it, yes, I mean everything in the episode. It yes. stands the chance of doing that. Now, yeah. my assumption, mm-hmm. and you've actually done a little bit more work on this than I have. My assumption is it's 1960 Hesenfem. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get away. Go back to the title. Go back to the title. This is this is what I was talking about earlier when I said we're going to hit that again. Um, Who mourns for Adonai? The American Heritage Dictionary of the English language defines Adonai as Lord used in Judaism Mm -hmm. as a spoken substitute for the ineffable name of God. Mm -hmm. So the title of the episode is Who Mourns for the Lord or Who Who Mourns for God? Right. And you can't do that in 1960, whatever on television, even if you're going to spend 48 minutes or 50 minutes making a humanist case for not needing God, you just can't say we don't need God. If you, if you say it in a way that most people aren't going to understand, right? Like the fact that you say, you know, nearly 50 years later, it's misspelled and mispronounced all over the place. So in 1967 or 68, you're not, I mean, not everybody's going to go, they're saying who needs God? Yeah. But they weren't going to be allowed to say who needs God. And so my assumption is that when you add that second part of that line, we find the one adequate. um, What you're doing is sort of basically keeping, you know, censors or keeping heads of network. Yes. Trying to keep the South or trying to keep not the South necessarily, but trying to keep, you know, people who are not maybe in a place of being willing to even question whether or not there is a God or whether or not we need one. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's just it. I mean, this episode is about confronting God, and we're doing it very boldly, and we're saying we've outgrown that relationship. And that that's heavy stuff then, that's heavy stuff now. Uh, we're going to get letters, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no question about it. But you have that line in there that, that undermines everything else that has been built up by the episode and undermines the ending of the episode as well. So we have to deal with it. And I, I thought, well, okay, I want to do a little more research on this, find what I can. And then I, I also wanted to get some other opinions. Now, there is some indication um, from Bob Justman that that line was necessitated by NBC. Okay. So it's kind of shoehorned in. Sure. Um, and, and I don't have the exact document. I, I Hopefully one day that will come to light. Uh, but there is some indication from Bob Justman that that's what happened. Now, I heard from some very interesting people on this. Um, I, I, I threw it out there to some kind of Trek experts, Trek uh, friends. Uh, Curtis Webster, who uh, actually ran a series in LA called The Spirit of Star Trek, uh, which is about these kind of religious issues that come up. And he said uh, that he had heard that story somewhere about, about that line being shoehorned in, but he couldn't recall exactly where. And he says, I'll just read exactly what he wrote here. I remember thinking even the first time I saw that episode that the line felt forced and unnatural. So I believe it to be absolutely true that NBC forced the line down Gene's throat, but I can't prove it. 
Now, he recommended uh, that I talk to Richard Arnold. Richard Arnold was one of uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, assistants, and he's kind of like Mr. Star Trek, an encyclopedic knowledge of the show. And he worked uh, throughout the 80s and 90s um, in and around Star Trek production. And he just says flat out, obviously, that was not Gene speaking. Um, but it's one of those things that you see and hear in the original series, despite Gene's fighting against it. Network pressure, he's not so sure. So there, there is some question there. Um, but I'll throw that out there now because we're going to come back to it in Bread and Circuses. And uh, I'll have more for you there about kind of Gene fighting the network. And there's, there's two other people that I talked to, Jeff Bond and uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, Jeff Bond said that his understanding, again, this is sort of NBC pushing it down their throats. Rob Burnett had a kind of a different take on it. His interpretation was, well, after the Greek, the Roman, the Norse, the Asian, and all the other false gods disappeared, we were left with only one vestige of our misguided belief in God. So we really don't need to start acquiring anymore. Thank you very much. Hmm. Um, so I, I, that's an interesting interpretation. I, I think just trying to fit in what's there, just right. trying to make it make sense with the rest of the episode. But I think a lot of uh, kind of common opinion on this is, well, this isn't Gene Roddenberry speaking. This isn't even necessarily the show speaking. This is something that got pushed in by somebody, whether from network pressure or just uh, – uh, the the production itself going well maybe we're pushing the line too far and it got squeezed in yeah it feels it feels like fear yeah i mean that's really to me anyway it, it feels like you know somebody somewhere was uncomfortable with you know the kind of backlash that this might generate yeah now i will yeah. say and that you're right i, I don't know if we're going to get letters or if you were saying that is about you know uh, talking about the 1960s i will say all of the above all right This is not an indictment of everything that religion has to offer. That, to me, is kind of the interesting thing. I mean, if we go back again to the title, Who Mourns for Adonai, the answer at the end of the episode, Kirk and Bones. Kirk and Bones both do. In the end, Kirk actually mourns for Adonai, or in this case, Apollo, you know, saying, you know, maybe we could have given him something. Because they gave us, these particular aliens gave us, you know, Greek culture, which is, of course, regarded the world over as the basis for civilization as we understand it, even, you know, today in the, in the beginning of the uh, 21st century. Right. And so Kirk thinks, you know, maybe they could have gone ahead and gotten him some laurels like he asked. But, you know, not be his unquestioning servant forever. Just maybe, you know, tip a hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To decide that there's, like, you know, no God or decide that... You don't even know whether there is a God is not to spit in the face of the idea of God or not to spit in the face of the idea of religion or not to spit in the face of everything that's come before. I mean, there's a ton of good stuff that can be taken away from religion as we've understood it to this point. And Kirk seems to sort of be acknowledging that, too. I I, I agree with you. um, But I think the, the bigger point here is that the relationship between man and religion, mankind and religion has now changed. Let's go down to brass tacks. Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, whether you think Jesus was the one true son of God or not, uh, most people can agree that Jesus was pretty groovy. I know Jews who think that Jesus was kind of cool. And certainly we have heard over the past, in the years since 9-11, we've heard, you know, plenty of Muslims say, I got no problem with Christianity. It's not my God, or it's not the way I think about it, because actually it is the same, you know, overarching mm-hmm. God. But, you know, Jesus seems like a cool dude. Not the one that I follow, but that's cool. And you'll hear Christians say the same thing about other religions as well. Um, I read the Bhagavad Gita, as I'm sure a lot of us did when we were in college, mostly because it was required, or high right. school, you know, mostly because it was required. And while it's been a very long time, I remember finding a lot of it compelling. There was a lot of it that made an incredible amount of sense to me right up to the point where they started pitching hard for Krishna. Yeah. This is not to say there's no value in any of it. Oh, no, no. And, and, I, and I don't – yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, no, I, I want to this... take pains to say that though because yeah. I know that there are people – my mom. My mom still goes to church, mm-hmm. you know, and good. I'm glad mm-hmm. my mom goes to church. I'm glad she finds what she wants to find there. That does, not, that does not seem to be where most of Star Trek is, despite this one line, despite, sure. the, one, despite the one Kirk line. Sure. All right, that's it. 
Okay. <laughs> that's, I mean, that just because I don't, I don't want. I know how people get about this. I know how I used yeah. to get about this because I used to be one of those people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you say anything sort of against or even questioning, and sometimes people get angry. Sometimes yeah. people get frightened. But I mean, this—it's not to say that there's no good from any of it. Well, it, and that's it, what's so cool about this episode is that it does question, it does challenge, mm-hmm. and and yeah, pe- people can feel threatened and angry and challenged by it, or or inspired by it. H- however, it is that you want to feel about it, you know that that's fine. Um, but I think what's so interesting here is that yeah, I, I agree with you. We're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater necessarily. That ending, that ending scene of Kirk and McCoy mourning for Adonai, mourning for Apollo, is more important and more powerful than the line, we find the one God quite adequate. You know, uh, because they are acknowledging that there is uh, that there's uh, a value in the whatever the good parts of that uh, that religion were yeah that, that's fine that's fine i wonder what the one god is that he's talking about uh who knows <laughs> and, well i mean and, it, you and know, bingo for, was his yeah. name oh i mean there's really no telling in the next you know 300 years which you know yeah maybe it's none of the ones that we know about today maybe <laughs> maybe but but it, the line has to be addressed because it is so out of place and yeah and it does kind of hurt the episode. Oh, it screws up the canon. How, how would it screw up canon? Well, I shouldn't say it screws up canon. I apologize. It screws up. You and I were in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And that already sort of you know goes a long way to disproving God. <laughs> <laughs> you and I were in Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. And somebody wanted to argue with you about something that we had talked about fairly early on. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it was, it was the very first episode. It was The Cage, actually, where I said, you know, the, the whole thing mm. about hell being a, 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 a fable that you heard a, in childhood. A legend from Earth's past. A legend yeah. from Earth's past. Thank you very yeah. much. And the gentleman wanted to come up and argue with you about whether or not we had given up religion in Star Trek based on this line. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I shouldn't say it screws up canon because I'm using that term incorrectly. Uh, it screws up Star Trek. Oh, right. <laughs> At right. least for people who want to give the line credence. Yeah, it seems to me. And so I guess yeah. the really the question is, do you do you give the line credence? And you've already said no. And I think I go along with you on that. Let's just put it this way. That line would have been more powerful if it stopped with the first phrase. Yes. I, if I, it, it, you know, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and next week, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? <laughs> hey, uh, let, let's kind of move the conversation a little bit here, because I, I think that. Um, we've explored the idea of this episode taking on religion, taking on God, making this sort of bold statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another bold statement here that I really like that is not just about the the negative act of sort of dismantling God and religion, but something that is a positive act and that is sort of building up a humanist, for lack of a better word, point of view. And that's in Kirk's speech to Lieutenant Palamas. Um, It comes across as incredibly humanistic, um, where Kirk is pleading with her saying, hold my hand. Look, this is all we have. This is all we know in this vast universe is that you and I are human. We share that bond and you share that bond with everybody else on the Enterprise and everybody else that you've encountered as human beings. So don't you know, first of all, he's pleading. He's pleading, don't sell us out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the obvious sort of uh, uh, self-preservation part of it. Um, and and it does come across, dare I say, a little carbon chauvinistic. <laughs> but but the intent to me is quite beautiful. Um, the, the, this humanist idea that this is all we've got. We we can't rely on. Um, the promise of something sort of ethereal, the promise of something, oh, I'll make you a god, you'll live on Mount Olympus. No, 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 no. The only promise we have is is what we've got, and we have to make the best of it. Um, so it's a little wonky. It's a little strange because he, he is uh, pleading with her just solely based on her biological makeup. 
But like I said, I think the intent is really nice. So um, I, it, that, that part really uh, spoke to me. Yeah, I don't disagree. And honestly, right. there's one mm-hmm. there is one thing that happens here that a lot of times I sort of I don't know it sort of it sort of gets under my skin, but I'm even okay with it this time. Um, mm-hmm. Kirk destroys Apollo's way of life. Yeah. Now there's there's a weird sort of like where he's a god, he's not a god, and there's the whole you know there's the whole Arthur C. Clarke thing. Um, yeah. Uh, which I've got written down and I cannot remember it and it. Shames uh, me every time I cannot remember how it goes exactly. Here I'm, I'm here. I'm here for you, Ken. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Okay, now you see, I always have that idea in my head, but do you actually know those words by heart? Um, can you say it? Can you say it properly when you're trying to say it to people, or do you just always go, "Yeah, you know that thing that uh, Clark said about magic"? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 for some reason, the the. The flow of those words, sufficiently advanced technology, stick right. with me. Yeah, Good for you. You're much better at that than I am then. But, but okay, <laughs> so here's the thing. There, there's kind of a weird thing going on with Apollo because – so he's apparently got this extra organ in his body that lets him draw power from the temple that he has built. So the temple mm-hmm. is the power source. He's got this thing in his heart. They destroy that temple. And yet he's still able to communicate with Zeus and get you know swept up into whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. kind of, that's kind of weird to me. It, it, it is a little uh, well, it's a lot odd, and um, we're dealing with something here that's still. I mean, that's the thing. We're dealing with something here. It seems to me that's still kind of magical, in a way, because well, this technology well, it, now has been destroyed, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. The te- well, that his technology is gone. Kind of like Trelane. Okay, Trelane's mm. technology got taken away from him, but you still have Trelane's parents who have their own technology, who have their own uh, power, yeah, whatever that may be. So when Zeus comes back to take uh, take Apollo away, they're using whatever other thing they have. All Apollo right. just had his set up in the temple. I apologize. I feel like I sidetracked this. There, it was just kind of an odd. You know, there's still no, there's, no, no. I, there's still something not quite divine. But, yeah, well, something a little bit divine, even at the end of the whole, you're not divine. Hey, where'd you go? Well, well, that's another thing we don't understand. And, and again, it's sort of the, the problem here that, like the end of a lot of episodes of Star Trek, we get to the end, we've discovered something, but we can't stick around long enough to figure out what that thing is. I remember where I was going. I apologize. Mm-hmm. He ended him. Generally speaking, when they just decide to end somebody, it kind of makes me sad. Or when they decide to end somebody's way of life, it kind of makes me sad. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with ending Apollo, or at least ending the way Apollo was doing what he was doing, because what he was doing was, you know, I'm going to destroy your ship, and you're going to stay here forever and worship me. That that well, tends, well, that tends to that, yeah. be a thing when when they like decide, yeah. okay, well, he's got to die, or you know, their way of life has to change. It, it feels to me like Kirk makes that decision a lot of times without really taking a lot into account. Yeah. I'm actually okay with, uh, well, and I guess yeah, here come the letters again. I'm actually okay with killing Apollo. <laughs> or at the well, very it, least it, imprisoning him, putting him, making, you know, putting lightning in a bottle and yeah. just saying, yeah, we're done. We, we do not need this. Do not open. Well, it, it seemed like the only alternative. And, and I agree yeah. with you because it, it, it is sort of a case of, hey, may, maybe we could get along with Apollo. You know, maybe Apollo's a good guy once you take away his desire to force people into servitude. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and use power to do it. Yeah, but know? take take that away, and what has he got? He's got really nice hair and a really nice uh, laurel wreath uh, crown. Decades ago, Jim Kirk did away with a five thousand year old god. Decades later, does the story of the Enterprise and Apollo stand the test of time? All right, everybody, we've reached the point in the show where we get to assess the damage. We get to pick it apart and decide, does the show hold up and do the messages hold up? And and just what are we trying to say here? So, can I present it to you? Uh, Does this episode as a production, as a TV show, hold up? The hand looks a little goofy. Mm -hmm. And I know that's probably even a remastered better hand than it was. I don't know Mm -hmm. for certain. I'm, I'm assuming it looks better than it did, but it still looks a little weird. 
Um, By the way, I don't want to sidetrack you too, too much. It, it is a remastered hand. It is new. Um, there is a rumor, unsubstantiated, that's why I didn't put it in trivia, that that was Gene Roddenberry's hand originally. Hmm. Um, but it is only a rumor. So, All right. Wow. Yeah. Take that as you will. If that's the worst you have to say about the show, well, that and the sexism. <laughs> but the sexism, I mean, at this point, it just is so common in the original series at this point that it's, I mean we have to go ahead and kind of accept it. We can go ahead and keep pointing it out, you know, to yeah. say good thing that we're not quite like that anymore. Or hopefully we're not quite like that anymore. Right. Um, but if the two worst things you have to say about it are this one thing that has sort of been a flaw all the way through the series and, you know, the, the kind of goofiness of the big giant hand, then yeah. I would say, I would say, yeah, it works. I mean, is it dated? Yeah. We might present gods a bit differently. We might even present Greek gods a bit differently if we were doing the show today. Then again, I think about the powers that be and, um, Joss Whedon's Angel, mm, which mm -hmm. was made, I want to say, what, 99, 2000, somewhere around there. And yeah. they're still sort of presented that way. So, I mean, it's it's a classic presentation. Maybe he wouldn't be in Gold LeMay right. if well. you did it today, but maybe he would be. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think it's I think I think it stands up very well. Um, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I think it stands up as a story. I think mm -hmm. it stands up as a concept. I, like I said, I, I just love the fact that we are doing something this bold, this challenging mm -hmm. on TV in the 1960s. It's challenging stuff today. So um, I, I love all of that. Now, as a production, I think it's not really Star Trek's finest moment. I, I think we're trapped on the set that looks very phony. Um, I, I, I think the, um, you know, the, the lighting, the, everything, it, it just kind of doesn't hold up. Um, in the remaster, fortunately, when Apollo gets really big, we cut out the matte lines that were so bad in the original. So, you know, the effects, stuff like that, just don't hold up. The sexism doesn't hold up. Um, but, but I'm conditionally saying that it does hold up because the writing is good, with the exception of that one line. You see, I'm willing to well, – you see, the one line does run the risk of derailing the whole episode as far as I'm concerned. But I think we just yeah. have to go ahead and accept that that was put in by people who, you know, yeah. weren't of the body, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, right. I will say the the being on the one set doesn't bother me. And mm -hmm. it, you and I have sort of debated this before. Going back to Trelane, mm -hmm. um, you didn't like the courtroom set because it seemed very sparse and it was just sort of like, you know, Kirk against a dark background. Mm -hmm. To me, I actually liked that particular set because, I mean, and the, the noose was hanging in the background as far as where, where Kirk was too, or the shadow of the noose was there. Very minimalist yeah. and really sort of said, you know, this is all there is right now. Kirk's life is in the balance. Right. I sort of feel the same way about the set here. Now, I don't think the set was stylized and it's quite possible that the only way, the only reason that we have the set being what the set is, is because, you know, we got 80 bucks, guys. So don't blow <laughs> right. it. Right. Um, but, I mean, to put them in one place where they really can only do one thing and trying to sort of get themselves out of that uh, situation, uh, it seems to me that you could easily uh, see that as a parallel or a parable, excuse me, mm -hmm. for what the whole episode's about. Yeah, this is the one thing. This is We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to worship this thing, and that's going to get us through, and then everything's going to be fine. They're trapped in that one, you know, that one box. Right. They're trapped on that one set. So, I mean, you know. This this is not one – this is not like shore leave where you need to run to this place. You need to run to that place. You need to run to this other place. I mean there's one there's one issue here and they need to deal with this one issue and either accept it or get over it. There's yeah. never going to be any other place to go if they you know, if they decide that they're just going to stick with what Apollo says. Um, I, I, I like your argument. I, I still disagree. Right. <laughs> I, I mean uh, only because it, like I said, it, it just felt – phony and and kind of claustrophobic like, like there was a lot of i'm god you're gonna worship me no you're not let's get off this set uh you know mm. so so that's the only thing that that kind of felt uh bad to me about the episode uh but but this show lives on its writing and its writing is really good um so speaking of the writing what do we have here for the message are you kidding me <laughs> well, I want to hear you go, and then, and no, then I'll give you, you see, my version. You want to hear me go because you want me to get the letters. No, 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 no. I'll take letters. Well, I mean, no, we, I we've already, we've actually already said it, right? I mean, there is no. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sum the whole thing up, it is. 
<sighs> really, you're going to make me say it. We don't need we don't need the ideas that have sort of hampered us mm-hmm. for quite a while. And you could say, no, you can't. I'm 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 being wishy washy because I don't want to offend anybody. But <sighs> there's nothing you can do. I apologize. There's nothing you can do. So if you're offended, you know, listen next week because we probably won't offend you nearly as much then. This whole <laughs> idea of God. Um, goes as far as this episode of Star Trek is concerned. I am yeah. not, and I don't know what it is, but I'm not willing to say there's no God. I, I'm not willing to say that there is either. I because there's what do I know? You know, mm-hmm. um, the idea though of being of being bound by you know we're going to worship, we're going to do what some God says. Uh, it just seems um, silly, and and that is I think what this episode is saying. The argument that you have as far as you know kirk saying to carolyn you know take my hand this is what we have Mm -hmm. that's a very compelling argument i mean we don't Mm -hmm. get into polytheism in this episode we don't get into the kinds of fights that we had in the crusades and then flash forward you know however many hundreds of years later that we are still having today um as far as you know well your god's dumb and my god's awesome and we don't even get into that i mean they're just saying enough with this here's what we have we got you and me and we're going to the stars. Yeah. And so that, that I mean, and that's not a succinct message. You know, try putting that on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. <laughs> but, but I, mean, that's, I mean, that really seems to be what it is. We're, we can, by being free of that and, you know, relying on each other, like mm-hmm. people on the planet, humanity relying on humanity rather than humanity relying on religion. Yeah. We're going to get further. We're going to go further. It, it, it's... To date, it is the most humanistic message that we've gotten from Star Trek. And, and that, that line, uh, that exchange between Kirk and Carolyn reminded me, you, you may have seen it, and uh, I would recommend to people to, uh, to look it up if they, if they have not seen it. Um, Lawrence Krauss, uh, the physicist, he wrote The Physics of Star Trek, and he just came out with a book called uh, A Universe from Nothing. Um, he, he's done this bit before, and Neil deGrasse Tyson has done this bit before, where they say, you know, look at your left hand, look at your right hand, that atom the very atoms that make up your left hand and your right hand were forged in the heart of a star that exploded. And those atoms probably came from different stars in different places billions of years ago. And that is the thing that connects us to each other and connects us to the universe. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of an interesting humanistic spiritual message. Mm-hmm. If there is such a thing, I'm saying there's such a thing. I just did it. Um, so, uh, so I do think that that is a message of this show. Like I said, a message of positive intent of this show. The other part of the message here that that you got into that that I agree with is that when we look at this show, Apollo is a stand-in for religion, not not just Greek religion, and, and we're exploring that relationship between mankind and God. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing that we're questioning here. What do we need of that? What do we get of it? And where do we go and what do we do when we get out of that? It's really bold stuff. And um, another quotation that came to mind while watching this episode is Thomas Jefferson in a letter that he wrote to his nephew. Um, I believe it was in 1787, I want to say. He said, question with boldness even the existence of God. Because if there be one, he must more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. I love that quote. And I I thought of that instantly when watching this episode. So, Ken, does the message hold up? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, dude. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Yes, the message holds up. Yes. Send your letters to uh, missionlog at... uh roddenberry.com is that right is that our, is uh, that our email right. address yeah mission log at roddenberry.com you can also find us on facebook skype and twitter all at the handle mission log pod you can even call us at 323-522-5641 and uh, don't forget we have a lovely homepage missionlogpodcast.com uh, we've been putting up some documents from the archive there so don't miss that and uh, remember we may use your comments in an upcoming episode of mission log what do we have next week ken well john 
I think we all know if, if television of old has taught us anything, uh, when it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. <laughs> and we may find out more about that next week with the change link. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. There's one thing I wish John and Ken had addressed. Apollo is an oiled and tanned muscle man. So, why was his space hand green? And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.